This episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by Glenfiddich. Tis the season to celebrate. Treat yourself and the ones you love to a whiskey that delivers the perfect union of smoky and sweet. Try Glenfiddich Fire and Cane. Whether served neat or on the rocks, Fire and Cane challenges convention, packing equal parts citrus and sizzle in every sip. Learn more about the newest experimental whiskey from the masters at Glenfiddich. Visit glenfiddich.com slash US. That's glenfiddich.com slash US. Drinking involves risk. Please drink responsibly. Hey everybody, it's Neil from The Vergecast. On this week's interview episode of the show, I interviewed Shruti Pinamaneni, who is an incredibly talented producer and reporter over at Reply All. Reply All's episode last week was called Negative Mount Pleasant. It's an episode about Foxconn in Wisconsin. Foxconn, of course, is the huge Taiwanese manufacturing company that makes iPhones and TVs and every other piece of consumer electronics that you can think of. They're building a gigantic factory in Wisconsin. And Mount Pleasant is where I am from. It is where I personally grew up. It's where my family's home still is. And so it is wild that this huge company is building one of the biggest factories in the world in my hometown. It is extremely controversial. We've published some stuff on it, but Shruti went, she dug deep into what's happening with Foxconn in Wisconsin. She talked to the village president, this guy named Dave DeGroot. Dave was just a guy who took some classes, basically a boot camp on how to be a politician from some right-wing groups. He became the village president of Mount Pleasant, and in his first week in office, he got the Fox Sun. So there's just characters galore in her story. We talked about all of them. We talked about my conspiracy theory that all of this is a plot to capture the United States ginseng production, which is maybe true, maybe not true. And we talked about toxic sludge, basically all the stuff that Shruti wasn't able to get to in her great episode of Reply All. So check this out. Shruti's an incredible reporter. And frankly, for me, it was super weird to be talking about my hometown on The Verge cast with somebody from Reply All. Here we go. Shruti, mm-hmm. Pinamanani. <laughs> I got it right. You did. I'm Good super job. excited. Um, Shruti, you are a reporter at Reply All. Yes. And you did something that to me is amazing. Mm-hmm. You went to my hometown, Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin, uh-huh. and you just produced an, what I will tell you is an absolutely wild episode <laughs> about the, the small town politics of Foxconn just dropping in the middle of Racine and Mount Pleasant. Yeah. So I want to start with like the, the very, very basics, mm-hmm. which – when I talked to you before and when I was listening to this episode, and I really encourage everyone to go listen to this episode of Reply All. It's so, so good. You were already looking into Foxconn, and then they landed in Wisconsin, and you're like, I should look at that. And then you fell down a rabbit hole of village board meeting archive videos, and then somehow you pulled the story. Just walk me through that because that is already crazy. Yeah. So, so much of the story, first off, is just purely an accident. So after Trump won the election, I was really—there were, like, specific things that I was really drawn to, which felt like issues where, from the Democrat side, I mean, they believe things that I would expect them to believe a different thing and and ditto for Republicans, right? And so manufacturing was one of those things for me because traditionally you would think Democrats would be— the ones that are really gung-ho about bringing jobs back and really focusing in the, on that. And it was surprising to me so how much of the news coverage was like, jobs, they can't be brought back. I mean, there's <laughs> this sort of like foregone conclusion feeling to things. And I really wanted to question that. And so I was taking a, a bit of a contrarian approach and being like, okay, everybody says the iPhone can't be made in the U.S., right? They're saying it's going to be too expensive, 
or it's just like there's no way to get all these components back into this country. And so I was looking for people who were trying to do crazy things like that, like sort of make a thing soup to nuts like in the U.S., um, a thing that people said couldn't be made here. And so somehow I wandered off from that path to to Foxconn because I was looking at Foxconn's attempt to build this huge factory in Brazil. And then while I was doing that, just bam, in July of last year, there was this Trump announcement saying, hey, we're bringing this huge Foxconn factory to Wisconsin. This is a great day for American workers and manufacturing and for everyone who believes in the concept and the label made in the USA. And so right away, I thought, okay, I... I should look into that. And I had a certain set of assumptions coming in, having already looked at Foxconn in Brazil and India. And that was, they're going to come in big, they're going to make a bunch of promises, and then the project is going to be stalled. And that is not what happened. What happened was they moved incredibly quickly. The Trump announcement was in July, and within, I believe, eight months, they were already breaking ground, Yeah, which I don't think anybody expected. And so I started to really look at the local level to see, like, how are they pulling this off? How are they doing it this fast? And that's how I found the village board meeting tapes. (laughs) I come before the board today to talk about the same subject everyone has been for the last three months, Foxconn. As you can tell by my address, I am one of those who are probably going to lose my house. But then again, no one knows where this is going, right? After having done a ton of reporting, it's hard to imagine that this project is going to play out in the way that the most optimistic people think that it will. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of people that I spoke to who moved out of their homes and said to me, you know, I did it because this is important. We need this. I don't know if they're going to get what they want. Yeah. So let me me just back up and and just kind of level set. So Foxconn is – a huge manufacturing concern headquartered mm-hmm. in Taiwan. They have facilities in China. They make the iPhone. They make the Xbox. They work for every big tech company. They decided to drop into Wisconsin. Scott Walker and President Trump said, we'll give you, depending on who you ask, somewhere between 3 and $5 billion worth of tax subsidies. And they, in exchange for promising $10 billion investment, they promised a bunch of $50,000 jobs, average $50,000. If you do the math... The state is going to pay Foxconn $200,000 per $50,000 job. That doesn't pay back for like 30 or 40 years or never, depending on who you ask. And then the plant was designed to make, what, 75-inch TVs? That was what they promised. That's already been scaled back to making like Android tablets or something, and it could get further scaled back. And so you're saying this is Foxconn's history. They come in big. They ask for whatever they're going to get, and they scale it down and scale it down. And the people in Wisconsin who are saying, we've got to just try, you think they're going to end up disappointed? I think so. And I think that sucks because, again, I'm not a manufacturing job skeptic. Like, I did speak to people who are like, you know, the thing that people want to do, bring back tech jobs or manufacturing jobs, it can be done. You just have to be smart about it. But there was a feeling of, hey, it can be done. And so why are we doing this Thing, which seems like the odds are really stacked against it. This is so weird for me. This is home. Like, I was just there mm-hmm. for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And to get to my parents' house, you have to drive down KR, that mm-hmm. little local highway, which is a total mess. And that's where Foxconn is. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just, I just drove by. I was like, well, there it is. It's a huge crater 
in the ground. And it's impossible to really imagine until you're there how large it is. The PR person told me it's, he said, it'll be one of the largest manufacturing campuses in the world. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's four and a half square miles, just the Foxconn project. There's all these side areas as well. So imagine like four and a half miles <laughs> one way, four and a half miles another way. And yeah, it's it's just right now, obviously, just like flat. You know how you spend, the longer you spend away from where you're from, the more you're from there? Yeah. I'm, I'm very much in that mode now. I'm, I'm the most from Wisconsin now that I have not been there for over a decade. I caught this in your story, too, when I was listening to it. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin is full of very optimistic, good-natured people. I like being from there. I like being from the Midwest in that way. Mm-hmm. And Foxconn is going to take advantage of that better nature. I can You can just feel it, that they're not being 100% honest. They weren't already not 100% honest with what they were promising, what they were saying they're going to do. The kind of side deals they're making, the, the Verge has reported on. Mm-hmm. So they put $100 million in the University of Wisconsin. Yeah. In exchange for that, they have this extremely ambiguous, like, patent-sharing agreement yeah. that has all the grad students freaked out that they're yeah. going to do engineering research and it's going to get turned over to Foxconn. And they're not going to be really responsible or accountable for that. Yeah. You can already see that playing out. Like, yeah. And everyone is saying things to me or things to our reporters at The Verge like, well, it's not every day $100 million shows up. So we should try, which yeah. is the same thing they're saying to you. Totally. And it's interesting when you look at Foxconn specifically, it's either like a boogeyman or savior. It's like everybody's – it's such a vacuum of actual information about how – what the company wants. They wouldn't talk to you, right? No. And they sent me the best <laughs> response I've ever gotten where they they said, listen, we can't talk to you because it's our policy not to talk about any ongoing projects or any clients. Yeah. So it's really, it's like, we just don't talk. Yeah, they, they haven't spoken to us either. Yeah. So don't take it personally. No, like <laughs> don't talk to anyone. Um, it's because there's a vacuum of information about Foxconn's motives. It's interesting how much the optimism has filled that. Like, of course they want to come here because this is just like, who wouldn't? But the issue is like Foxconn, weirdly, even more so than like the American businessmen, they're like super smart and strategic. They're like yeah. proper capitalists. You know what I mean? Like they're coming in with a real plan for how can we do the thing that we actually want to do. But by the way, just to be, we set this, there's Racine, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Over time, Racine has gotten bigger and the little like suburb neighborhood that I grew up in, Mount Pleasant, became a village. Of mm-hmm. like 20,000 people. So the first time I talked to you, I was like, Mount Pleasant's not a place. Oh, so you're from Mount Pleasant proper? Yeah. Oh, damn. Okay. It's, yeah, I'm out there. I'm in the <laughs> sticks. Uh, so my parents' house is now technically in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin, uh-huh. which when I was growing up in like the 80s and 90s, like it was just part of Racine. Yeah. So Wisconsin's getting bigger. So we keep talking about Mount Pleasant. It's just right next to Racine. They're exactly. on top of each other. It's a suburb that doesn't even have uh, the feeling of being an actual village. It's not like there is a center to it with a main street. It's just a sort of neighborhood sprinkled around between just big fields or sort yeah. of like strip malls. Anyhow, so mm-hmm. the village president of Mount Pleasant, this guy, Dave DeGroote, tell me his story because I think it's kind of amazing. Okay, so – Dave DeGroote, who really did not appear in any of the reporting that I have seen about this Foxconn project. But once you start listening to these village hall recordings, and again, 
Village Hall is just the place where the the residents of Mount Pleasant, they go to listen to their village government, which is the village president, Dave DeGroote, and his six village trustees. It's almost like a business meeting where they're talking about whatever local important thing from a softball game to sort of certain yards that are overgrown right now (laughs) and need to be dealt with. So the residents go there to listen to the public meetings. And also there's a chance for them to go up and just speak their mind about anything for three minutes. So that's Village Hall. And so as I was listening to these recordings, it quickly becomes clear that President Dave DeGroote is really, one person said to me, he runs the place as if he were the mayor, mm-hmm. right? And he, it, it is really, I think he has a set of priorities. And it was clear that Foxconn was a thing that he personally was invested in. Before I met him, I knew that he was very much in the party of Scott Walker, his Facebook banner. It was a picture of him shaking hands with Scott Walker. And so the whole thing started when Foxconn put out this anonymous RFP to a number of places, Wisconsin, one of them. I'm assuming that – no, I'm not assuming. I know this. Um, (laughs) The state of Wisconsin immediately was interested, and they had a team of people, negotiators, who were mostly – my understanding is uh, Scott Walker, who is Mm -hmm. a politician with no business experience, a few – banker types, like finance guys. And they immediately said, okay, we we need to get this. And then when it trickled down to the local level, you have someone like Dave DeGroote, who is suddenly in touch with his hero, Scott Walker. Like he said that Scott Walker's office was calling his office almost every day just to say, you know, constantly like, what do you need? How can we make this happen? Like really giving, you know, in his eyes support. Yeah. I think the other way to see that is maybe they really wanted it you could say cynically, for political reasons or generously they wanted the political benefits but also the jobs. But for him, you know, they were like on the same team and also he's on the same team with President Trump. So I think for him, this is like a big moment for him. And this is like his first week in office. Exactly. And so that was the other very surprising thing to me. He had just won the village presidency, like the local village elections. So this was April of 2017. He said within a week on the job, he first saw that letter. And so it's almost like he's catapulted right to the state slash White House level. And I think that was very intoxicating. How did you become a politician? It's a little shadowy. (laughs) I really scraped the internet to find all the information I can on Dave DeGroote. When I did interview him, I tried as hard as I could, and I think I'm generally pretty pretty good at getting people to open up about their background. But he was very, like, careful about what information he was going to give. There was a PR person there who's very careful. Uh, But here's what I know about Dave DeGroote. There's a group called American Majority that likes to take people who are of— a Tea Party bent and really train them in politics, like teach them about fundraising, teach them about what it takes to get into local politics, kind of refine their views and their just their talking points. And so he was part of this, I'll call it a boot camp. I think they selected about eight people and he was one of wow. them. Yeah. And so he was a village trustee in another small town, Elmwood Park, I think. Uh, Elmwood oh, Park no, is okay. right next to right next to Mount Pleasant. <laughs> so that was his first uh entry point into village politics. And then I used to get my hair cut in Elmwood Park. That's like so That's where I'm at. And then in 2015, he became a trustee in Mount Pleasant. Mm -hmm. And then last year, he won the village presidency. And he did really well. I just want to be clear. And this was after his boot camp. And so the thinking is he came out of that boot camp like really having the backing of local Tea Party slash conservative folks. And so they really helped propel him into power. Wow. The thing I didn't know but really blew my mind is – 
none of the people on the village board, this is not their job. They're elected, but they're all part-time. So Dave DeGroote, it's a little unknown exactly what he does, but he seems to be loosely like a landlord with some apartments. And so, yeah, it's not as if he's coming into this with any real business or government experience. So here's this landlord from from Racine or Mount Pleasant. He goes to boot camp to become a politician. He ends up as the village president of like a 20,000-person community mm-hmm. that's next to a much larger community. It's about 26,000, yes. And then $10 billion of fox hunt. It's dropped on his lap. Is yeah. he in charge? In charge would be overstating it because – I would say very much the people at the state level are in charge. Mm-hmm. But they found in Dave DeGroote a person who was very, very receptive. Yeah. And I do believe that there were neighboring towns who were also part of this competition to bring Foxconn there. And they dropped out because, especially Kenosha, which I'm sure you know, <laughs> Kenosha dropped out because they said, hey, this doesn't make any sense for us. This is just, they're at, Foxconn is asking for way too much. And so the mayor didn't think that it was good for his residents. Yeah. Uh, and so really at the end, it was just Mount Pleasant. There was nobody else. So now he's got leverage, with. but he doesn't use it. He just gives everything away. Yeah. So, so my point is that I do think that Dave DeGroote had power in that. If he was very much against the deal, I don't know if he would have been the ideal partner for Scott Walker's team. So you have all this tape from these board meetings. Mm -hmm. They're like fighting. There's like other people who are against it, and he's kicking them out. This is enough. You're out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order once more, and you're gone. These are residents of our community. If I hit this gavel one more time, you're gone for the rest of this meeting. How did the like opposition to this in this community like develop? It's so much more complex than that. And I find it so fascinating in that it's more complex than I expected. They're not even debating it with him, right? There's no moment where Dave DeGroote said to the residents, hey, you have all these questions about Foxconn. And I just want to say they might be coming. We don't know yet. Here's my opinion. He never said the word Foxconn until the deal was done and signed. Wow. Right? And so what was actually happening is residents heard rumors that there's first it was just something big is coming. They assumed it was a development. And I think a lot of people were excited because, like I say in the story, everybody I spoke to agrees that people want development there. It's not an anti-development community or like an anti-sort of corporate community. But they didn't know who was coming. And the other main character in the story, Kelly Gallagher, who's this local activist, she said she started to get worried because they were hearing so little information. And so she was trying to get her friends at local government to tell her what's going on. There were whispers, maybe it's Foxconn. And then there's the Trump announcement where he's saying Foxconn is coming to Wisconsin. People put two and two together and they say, oh, they're probably coming to Mount Pleasant. And so they start going to these village hall meetings and saying, Tell us what's happening. Like, is this going to affect my home? Are my taxes going to go up? Who's going to get these jobs? Just really basic questions. But the village board, the president and his trustees would just sit there and watch. They never responded. And so the reason things started getting tense is because people were having real emotional reactions but getting nothing in return. And so, yeah, you can just hear nerves fray, you know. That's enough, sir. Can I respond to that? No, sir. You responded to me. No, sir. Let me respond back to you. Go sit down. 
Why, now, you're going to respond to your taxpaying citizens. Do you want to be we called out of order? We can't respond back to you. No, sir. That is totally wrong, Go sit sir. down. Who are you talking to, man? You're out of order. And then he had to apologize to everybody. It's so it's so raw. It's so hard to listen to every single time. I've heard it maybe 25 times at this point. And they're not even fighting about Foxconn. They're just fighting about whether or not a person can speak. Yeah. That's it. It's the most basic kind of fight about what it means to be in a place that has some kind of democratic process. And so I just I, I felt like there were a lot of ideas and tensions and kind of weirdnesses in there. Yeah. The other one that got me, and I want to actually talk about Foxconn, yeah. was that they're moving people out of their homes. And they're, they're paying a lot of money. They're paying $30,000 an acre, like some 10x number yeah. of what you would normally get for this land. But they're asking people to leave. They're paying the money. And then they're moving people into houses that maybe there was one gentleman, I think he was in a wheelchair, and mm-hmm. he needed to make his house accessible. They won't give him the extra money to make his new house accessible. And I thought that, just listening to that, I was like heartbroken. Yeah. It's so hard to imagine why the village decided to do it this way because in the negotiations with Foxconn, the parcel of land that they needed to get ready for Foxconn right away. So they gave themselves a deadline of August 1st. And so by August 1st, they had to get about 60 homeowners off of this very large, we're talking like almost two square mile area of land. And the way they did it was the village said, Foxconn, you don't need to go individually and do the buyouts and buy the land. We will do it for you. In fact, the village is also paying for that land. Like they took out, I believe it was over $100 million in loans just to pay for the land. So the village, your village, Mount Pleasant, (laughs) is paying a mortgage on land that they collected from their own residents and gave, not sold, not rented, gave to Foxconn. That's insane. It is is. Odd. <laughs> it's not what you expect a village to do. But, and just to get to Sean, they're not set up to do this kind of operation. Like the board of trustees, they're not real estate brokers, right? Yeah. And so everybody I spoke to, even people who were for the deal, who lived on that land and had to move out, said the process was so chaotic. So many things fell through the cracks. There was all this confusion about what money, who was going to get, how, like just getting the relocation fees. And I think most of the people took the deal that the village was offering because they know the village is doing this. And so the threat of eminent domain was always hanging above the whole process, right? So there wasn't room for negotiation. So a lot of them took the deal. And then the few people that didn't, yeah, that's really where it gets super contentious. But Sean is one of those people who took the deal but still kind of fell through the cracks because he ended up in this house with four children and he's in a wheelchair and The village argues that, like, they already gave his mother the money. His mother owned the house that he lived in. But on some level, I don't know, even standing there, I was like, there is a lot of money in this project. And it's strange that this is the way they're cutting the corners. It's it's hard to swallow. Yeah. And it just seems like what you want to do is make everybody excited and $20,000 against $10 billion or $4 billion of subsidy should just probably get rounded away. Because they're spending so much money. I can't – like, if you look at the breakdown of the numbers – so they've taken out all these loans, right? And so you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're paying – the village is paying right now for all kinds of – they call it other services. But just to give you an example, every time I interviewed Dave DeGroote, the village president, there was a fancy PR person from Milwaukee who drove from Milwaukee to be there. Wow. You know, so (laughs) – 
they're spending a lot more money than they're saving on a person in a wheelchair living in a really shitty house with his four very young children. Yeah. Every time I, I mean, you know, we we cover tech companies. We're very used to fancy PR people. And every time I reach out to these folks, I'm like, hey, I'm going to be in town. I'd love to meet some of y'all. And I get these emails back. I'm like, this is pro PR. Absolutely pro PR. This episode of the Divergecast is brought to you by Dell Cinema. Listen to this advertiser content from Dell Cinema about how binge-watching has changed everything. Kayla loves TV. I like to tell people that I invented binge-watching TV shows. I'm in it for the long haul. And chances are, you're a lot like Kayla. Over 70% of Americans are binge-watchers, and they feel a deep connection to both the characters and the screens they're watching them on. Dr. Emil Steiner is an assistant professor who studies binge-watching at Rowan University. With the newer screens that are now available because of the crispness, the higher fidelity, they allow viewers to see a more realistic world. And that social realism creates greater feelings of connection with the people on those screens. According to Steiner, it's not just screen size and clarity that creates that deeper connection. The technology today allows viewers to control not just what they watch, but where and when they watch it. And this is great news for Kayla. I used to feel truly embarrassed about the amount of binge-watching that I engage in, but I feel grateful that the culture is totally supportive of this type of hobby that I have. If you're a person who can never say no to one more episode, check out the Dell XPS 13 with Dell Cinema Technology. For incredible sound, color, and streaming, it's the laptop for people who watch things on their laptop from Dell Computers. Thanks to our sponsor, Dell. Learn more about Dell Cinema's amazing color and Intel Core i7 processor at dell.com slash XPS13. That's dell.com slash XPS13. So let's talk about Foxconn. And I want to transition to it by just referencing this thing that Dave DeGroote told you. That's what drives the technology market is uh, new whiz-bang stuff for, uh, you know, for, for kids as they're, as they're getting through school and getting into their income-earning years. I listened to that and I was like, y'all got played. Like you straight up got played. This isn't how it works. What Foxconn makes here is not what the kids are going to buy in Best Buy. The end, local engineering talent, like there are engineering schools in Wisconsin. The University of Wisconsin has some good engineering schools. So Foxconn like doesn't make a ton of consumer products. They mm-hmm. have three brands. They have mm-hmm. Belkin, which makes like iPhone cases and cables. Apple loves them actually. Um, they have Wemo, which is like the smart plugs home stuff. Mm-hmm. And they have Linksys, which is the router company, mm-hmm. and they own uh, like a majority share of Sharp, which is not the world's most popular TV company. If you're expecting Foxconn to show up and invent stuff, that is almost certainly not going to happen in this area. What struck me right away when I was talking to Dave DeGroot and basically everybody else on the state side, the village side, who were working on this deal was this real disconnect between what I understood Foxconn to be and what they were saying it was. So in my mind, Foxconn is a very practical, smart company that manages to make money in a sector that's very difficult to make money. They operate on very skinny margins, right? And that's why they they have these big operations, like a lot of people working on a thing that is expensive, but it works out. They can make it for less. And like you said, I always think of them as a company that puts together things, like they don't invent things. 
Did you know that they make like more than half of the world's gadgets? Like more than half of the world's electronic stuff is just put together by Foxconn. That blew my mind. But when you talk to somebody like Dave DeGroote and he's just spinning these ideas of like, it's not even Silicon Valley. It's like beyond Silicon Valley, right? Like this is the company that's going to do sort of flying autonomous cars and healthcare. Did they say the phrase, my favorite phrase? Which one? AI 8K plus 5G. Oh, Foxconn did. I talked to this Foxconn uh, analyst. His name is Alberto Moel. He's in the story. But he told me when he listened to the announcement, the Foxconn announcement, where you have the chairman standing next to President Trump and saying what they're going to make in Wisconsin, my first thought was vaporware. I mean, this is just nonsense. What are they talking about? But anybody you talk to in Wisconsin who was, you know, working on this deal did not know that. And I just couldn't understand how— how? How do you not know that? I mean, just pick up the phone and call a tech consultant. It's not that hard. Yeah. I spoke to this uh, this investigative reporter, Larry Tabak, who was in Madison. So he was really closely following the negotiation process. And he said, I called several flat screen consultants. There's not that many. And he yeah. said nobody had talked. Nobody was on the negotiating team. They didn't have any Asia consultants either. And so it was really, it's you know, they're not going into this negotiating room prepared. Because on the other side, you have people, the Foxconn folks, who are extremely prepared. Yeah. Right? This is what they do. And so, yeah, I mean, the ideas of what Foxconn is going to make and this Wisconsin Valley and what it's going to be, it really is out of, I don't even know what kind of movie. (laughs) I mean, it's funny that they think it's going to be beyond Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley doesn't even make Make Silicon. Yeah, I know. Right? They make software. Mm -hmm. There's a really popular TV show on HBO that you could watch and be like, what actually happens here? And it's obviously a comedy, but it's closer to what happens in reality than some dream of a huge manufacturing facility. I didn't understand what was propelling this thing forward. I really didn't. I didn't. When I started reporting the story, I didn't understand what Foxconn was getting out of it. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of subsidies, but I thought, but still, does the math really work out in their favor? And I didn't understand what Wisconsin thought they were getting out of it. And when I really started speaking to people like Dave DeGroote, it takes your breath away, really, because you're like, oh, wow, you really think of technology in a way that I do not. Like, yeah. you, you see it. it. It's not just a thing of the future that is coming now. It is also a thing that lasts forever. <laughs> you're shaking your head. I, I know that. Really. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's just like I, I'm having like a visceral physical reaction to this because it's home. like they could have just asked. They could have just asked. And, and it's. I know, because that's the part. It's like, I don't want to be the skeptical person who goes into a small town and says, like, this is stupid. But it's just like there are people who know these things and look at these things for a living. Just pick up the phone. Yeah. So the thing about that is even the history of the tech industry as we understand it Mm -hmm. is not very long. Even just now, Intel, if Intel was coming to Wisconsin, and I bring up Intel for a very specific reason Mm -hmm. I'll get to, if Intel was coming to Wisconsin, would people be excited? We're going to build all our chips in Wisconsin. Well, maybe, right? It's a big company, famous name. Intel is in a moment of complete disarray. They're looking for a CEO. They can't compete on chips. And this company is not that old. So if you're making some permanent bet that's going to pay off in 50 years, the idea that any tech company, even the ones that we – think are permanent. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of scary. It, it is extremely scary. And a lot of the people who are making these bets don't know that. I mean, haven't, I can't blame them for not thinking through 
what's going to happen to this factory? Because I honestly didn't really grapple with it until I, I spoke to this historian of factories. That is a job. It's wild. <laughs> it's a, yeah. You have a cool job. <laughs> and he told me this thing at the end of the interview that I was like, I've never thought of that. He said, um, you know, when you look at the lifespan of a factory, it's coming down, right? So a factory like the Ford factory, the T-Model factory in Detroit, that lasted about 60 years. And he said, that's a very old factory. But factories now don't last that long. Anecdotally, he was saying he thought it was about 10 years. Canada has some data that says that factories there last about nine years. That's nothing. And we're talking about building giant places. Like yeah. factories are not small, right? And so it's kind of like saying, let's build big stadiums for sports that won't exist in eight years. And also to make a thing, like display technologies come and go. Yeah. Right. So the, this is an LCD plant. My phone right now has an OLED screen in it. My TV is an OLED screen. Yeah. I think LCDs are going to be around for a long, yeah. long, yeah. long time. It's an old technology, yeah. But you can buy a 75-inch LCD TV for like 500 bucks. And so it's like not even the most expensive or best thing. Yeah. And the closest I can get to understanding AI 8K plus 5G, <laughs> I can't even say it. It's so embarrassing, <laughs> is that we're all going to roll around in self-driving cars powered by AI watching 8K TVs that are delivered over 5G. And like Foxconn makes one part of that value chain. Yeah. Right? Like they don't make the Waymo car. We just did a big report on Google's Waymo mm -hmm. taxi service in Arizona. Mm -hmm. That's made by Chrysler and it's full of a bunch of Google stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And like they don't make – Qualcomm has all the patents on 5G. That's why they're demoing it in Hawaii right now. Yeah. That's their stuff. So like the part of it that is Foxconn, it's like you don't even like – Look at – they gave you this alphabet soup of letters and you even look at like who owns the letters. They just have a different view of Foxconn and I'm not sure what it's based on, honestly. Yeah. It's like this is a company that is – makes so many different things and it's a multi-billion dollar company which is one of the biggest employers in the world. So I'm sure those things are what they chose to focus on. And even when Foxconn said that they wouldn't talk to me, they did send me their standard – response to all questions related to Wisconsin. And it was basically, we're committed to doing the thing that we said we were going to do. It is going to be $10 billion in investment. It is going to be 13,000 jobs. And we really believe in Wisconsin. Like it, they're, they're going with the party line. Yeah. There is pressure that the, yeah. the governments at every level can put back on them, right? Like tariffs on iPhones are real. That will hurt their business. They don't keep these promises or stuff. There's penalties that they will face. Yeah. But that's over a very long timeline. Have you seen the actual, the fine print of the deal with Foxconn? Like I've the actual not. financial agreement? It's it's really at that moment that the whole thing crystallized for me where I was like, oh, Foxconn's going to be fine. Like they're, this is, I'm sure they're doing it to hedge against tariffs and I'm sure there was some political pressure. But when you look at what they're getting there's just no reason they wouldn't have said no. Yeah. So basically, once the factory is up and running, they've agreed to pay the village of Mount Pleasant $30 million in property taxes, which is nothing to sneeze at. But the village of Mount Pleasant is going to spend $18 million of that just to pay off its loans, <laughs> like just to pay off the interest of its loans. And then they're going to give $10 million back to Foxconn. That's amazing. And then the rest of it just goes into expenses. So they actually don't make any money off the deal. When I talked to the consultant who worked on the finances of the deal, so he's actually, you could say he's like one of the architects of the, the incentive package. 
both at the state level and at the local level. He said, the reason I think it's conservative is because we're just banking on the Foxconn factory, just this factory. But we imagine we're going to get way more in property taxes, more than $30 million, because there's going to mushroom around this factory all these other parts of the supply chain. Like, it's going to be this booming manufacturing hub. But when I asked him, like, but what is that Foxconn factory around which all these other things are going to mushroom up? What is that factory going to make? He doesn't know. Yeah. Nobody knows. You just assume you're going to bring in all these jobs and then they're going to need, I don't know, restaurants. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to this this person who studies economic development packages and he said – he's in the story actually, uh, David Swenson. He's a sort of grumpy gnome of an economist <laughs> you hear. He was like, you know, there's um, – The thing that they're trying to do in Wisconsin, it's never worked. It's never worked for a government to say, we're going to create this huge tech hub. And he said the few people who have tried that, he pointed me to a town called Normal, Illinois. Yeah. Do you know the story of the Mitsubishi plant? It's a little similar in that Mitsubishi said, we're going to put this factory in Normal, Illinois, even though nothing Mm -hmm. related to car manufacturing is close to there. We're just going to assume that people will come, like, sort of come up organically and it'll just flourish because, because. And it didn't. Yeah. That's basically the story of of small town America all over the place. So one of the reasons we were told that Foxconn had to be where it is Mm -hmm. is because LCD manufacturing takes a lot of water. Yes. And they need to just, like, siphon water from the Great Lakes. So when I was driving through this area in November just at home, I'm like – Wow, they're they're digging up everything, and there's just massive conduits everywhere, and that's because they need all this water. Yeah, are they going to get it? Because the new governor kind of doesn't want to give it to him, right? No, they were told they were going to get it. There's a pipeline already that is being built from Racine to the factory site, but there's a lawsuit against it. So there's people who are saying that you cannot use the Great Lakes water for a private corporation that's sitting like not even fully within the basin. Yeah. So that's – I think they're arguing it in a couple months. And they're going to presumably create a bunch of, like, toxic sludge. So much toxic sludge. Like, LCD plants create, like, several, several, several tons of sludge a day. And this Foxconn factory sits on wetlands. A lot of the environmental regulations were waived. They don't have to actually, like, be careful about what they do with the wetlands as they build the factory. And they haven't yet said what they're going to do with the toxic sludge. That's an amazing thing to have not yet discussed. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like that's the new governor's primary point of leverage. It is, but let's see. I mean, yeah, he still has to contend with all the local politicians who are not so – who might have a different feeling about the environment than he does. <laughs> when I spoke to someone in Racine, they said, you know, where we're seen in there, Mount Pleasant. <laughs> it's just like a very like, okay. I heard that a, understood. a lot. I did hear that a few times. Okay, so here's my conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. And this that. has been reported out a little bit. Yeah. Foxon is – they're in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. They also own like a premium ginseng business in China, which is amazing. <laughs> it's an amazing sentence that I love. And they are buying and partnering and investing in ginseng farms all over Wisconsin. And so my theory is that this factory is like a ruse. And before you know it, the people of Wisconsin are going to wake up and realize mm-hmm. that they all work for ginseng farms. Wow. And it's all been terraformed into like ginseng central and it's been like a sneaky diversion. Totally. The thing that you should add, which I think gives some weight to your conspiracy theory, is that 95% of American ginseng is grown in Wisconsin. And do you know who loves American ginseng? Chairman Terry Go. See? It's there. 
That's like the virgiest verge story I can come up with is Foxconn swooped in and bought up all the ginseng in America. There is one other conspiracy theory, which is sort of, I think, much more sinister. Yeah. Water. They're there for the water. The Great Lakes last remaining, the largest source of fresh water remaining. And they're coming from a part of the world where water isn't easily accessible. Yeah. To me, having looked at the numbers, I think they're coming because they were given enough subsidies to come. But yeah, there are a lot of resources that are being spent from ginseng to water on a company where we're not sure exactly what their plan is. Yeah. I think that's the piece of it where it's, you've got the people in Wisconsin who run Wisconsin Mm -hmm. and they're not talking to Terry Gow, right? They're they're talking to Foxconn functionaries who are just there to hit their numbers and move on. And I... That disconnect, I think no one is no one's particularly happy about. Yeah. Right? Whoever Dave yeah. DeGroot is talking to at Foxconn, they're going to get promoted in a year and, and leave, and, yeah. and then there'll be some other executive in charge yeah. of just a factory. And I don't think anybody has given that, that disconnect enough credit. I don't yeah. think anybody has thought about, who am I going to hold accountable? Mm-hmm. It's just this company, and they're going to pay the money and do whatever they want to do. At the same time, I do share like that slight optimism you know, we, The Verge published a big piece about Foxconn right before the elections, uh-huh. and I sent it to my parents. And like, my dad's a Republican, my mom's a Democrat. Uh-huh. They had like wildly different responses to this. Yeah, but they're like, "Don't you hope it works out?" Yeah, and that's that to me is like I'm still from the Midwest, right? Like, it, yeah, that that feeling is still there. So, what is the best case scenario? Oh gosh, honestly, I think a best case scenario is Foxconn builds something and. Maybe it's close to what they say it's going to be. Just LCD screens, it's going to create a lot of jobs. And they do actually pay people what they say they're going to pay. Right now, they promise to pay an average of 50 something thousand dollars. But if you look at the fine print, they can actually pay people far less. But if they actually turn out to be a good partner and they do create good jobs, like family supporting jobs, I don't know. It just seems like, even as I say it out loud, we just shouldn't be hoping for the best. I think I, I think the way to do it, if you're in government, is go for the thing that you can get. You know, there are things in Wisconsin where you can make stuff like robotics is a really – it's a flourishing sector in Wisconsin. Like fund people who are doing good things and like, yeah. you know, build it from the ground up instead of trying to go – after some mysterious sort of ginseng conglomerate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the best case scenario is that they build a thing and they do make jobs and they are careful with the environment. Yeah. You know, it's interesting is there's other huge tech companies in Wisconsin that nobody ever talks about. So like Epic is like mm-hmm. the world's largest healthcare software provider. Yeah. It's privately owned. It's just like they're yeah. up there in Monaco. They're like doing it. And yeah. like, why don't you give them $10 billion and see what happens to them? Like, yeah. That, to me, is, like, the hard part. But we'll see what happens. Shruti, thank you so much for joining. We went, like, you gave us so much time. I'm, I, I'm so appreciative. But <laughs> thank it's... you for having me. Uh, yeah, and it's a subject that I'm so deeply fascinated with. So I could talk about it forever. Well, look, I'm going home for Christmas. I'll let you know <laughs> if there's any updates. Seriously. Uh, and we'll have you back soon. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, so that was Shruti Pinamadani from Reply All. Thank you so much, Shruti, for coming on the show. If you haven't yet listened to Negative Mount Pleasant, which is Shruti's episode about Foxconn in Wisconsin, go listen to that now. It is absolutely wonderful. I highly recommend it. We'll be back later this week with more of the regular Vergecast and every Tuesday with more interview episodes. I love hearing from you on how this is going. Please tweet at me. I'm at Reckless. I'd love to hear from you about who we should interview and what we should cover. It's tremendously valuable. We'll see you later this week. 
And now another word from our sponsor, Dell. The Dell XPS 13 with an 8th gen Intel Core i7 processor is the laptop for people who never say no to one more episode. With lifelike color, brilliant sound clarity, and smooth streaming, Dell Cinema Technology makes whatever you love to watch even better. Call 800 by Dell to learn more or visit dell.com/xps13. Sponsored by Dell and Intel. Mm-hmm. 